Welcome back to Run the Damn Ball. This is your host, Daniel Magnuson. It is Labor Day. Hope everyone's doing great today. We have a lot to talk about. Just had a full weekend of college football with one more game tonight. Overall, really exciting weekend, a lot of good games. I got Elijah Herbal of Hale Varsity on with me today. Once again, Elijah, let's start with the Huskers. What were your biggest takeaways from Nebraska's 52-7 win over Fordham? I'm just getting right into it. I like it. I like it. Uh, well, Nebraska did what they needed to do at the end of the day. It wasn't like uh, they put on a performance that's going to make anyone in Nebraska go, okay, I feel a lot better about the <laughs> team now. Like, there's, there's people out there who are like, they had a smile on their face on Saturday, but now Monday rolls around and you're back in the same spot you were, which was, okay, this team still has problems. Yes, we know they have talent, and uh, thank God they have enough talent to beat Fordham. Um, I think there were, there were definitely some some groans and some some nervousness in the stands through that first quarter and through a bit of the second quarter. And I, I think Nebraska kind of flexed their muscles. The game went on. They they worked through some problems, but at the end of the day, we didn't learn all that much from that win. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a morale boost just for the fans and maybe a little bit for the players because instead of playing Southeast Louisiana in like early November or whenever that was going to mm-hmm. be played, we got a different FCS opponent. In week one, got an easy win. Um, it was a little bit shaky at the start. I got to the game about three minutes in because the line the lines were yeah were the line at eleven a.m. was packed and I missed the flyover and everything. But you got the win. That's all that really matters on the Buffalo. Uh, I I do want to talk about the game though, just from like what each players are doing because a lot of guys got in the game. Uh, Martinez, I think he had one fumble to start the game. I don't know if he lost that, actually, because I didn't catch it, that. It was a, a fumble on an exchange on a handoff. It looked like he was trying to hand it to, I think it was Gabe Irvin. Yeah, he, yeah. And it didn't look like Gabe Irvin knew he was going to be getting the ball. So, uh, Did we lose that ball? We, we, we uh, Martinez fell on it. Okay, okay. So we, we ended up getting it back. We got a little bit lucky. There was a, a defensive lineman like coming through free, and uh, I think it was Sichterman, the right guard, just like – held the ever-living crap out of him like just grabbed a, a tug of the like a hold of the jersey and he like got turned sideways while martinez fell on the ball like i think that defensive line was probably going to fall on the ball did they call holding maybe uh, they did not call holding <laughs> martinez fell on I the think ball it's smart though by sixterman just to hold just exactly. in case that's exactly. actually smart and, and it's like <laughs> make the refs like make a call like yeah that, 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 i didn't catch i should have caught that and, I mean, and like it's, it's much better to have the ball and be another 10 yards back after the fumble i mean we we were already set up in a third and 18 once we picked up that fumble um and we picked it up which is awesome. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's much better to have a third and 28 than to have to give Fordham the ball at our 20-yard line. So it, it's a smart play. It's one of those ones where, like, yeah, they probably would have scored a touchdown. That's that's not a penalty I'd be mad about as long as Martinez falls in the fumble. But Max. didn't call it. We get the ball back, and Martinez scrambled and uh, picked up a first down the next play anyway. So Yeah. I just remember whenever I walked in the stadium, Fordham was driving, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is what I've been for. But we ended up – I think Domi got a pick on that drive to so kind of turn yeah. things around for us. Um so Martinez had a good game. I think he had uh, over 200 yards passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't throw any interceptions. He had, I believe, only one touchdown pass. I could be wrong though. Uh, that Brewington had a catch from him. Yeah, br- yeah, yeah, yeah. Chancellor, Chancellor Brewington. Brewington had the catch from him. He had two rushing touchdowns, and then he had one that was the uh, the little flip to to Smart Touré on the triple option. I think that was a rush by Touré. Yeah, it was technically then, called a rush, but it's one of those if. Touré moved out in front of him; it would have been a forward pass, but not not a not a touchdown yeah. pass. Touré got the rushing touchdown. I really I love that play. I hope we run that more. We ran it like four times mm-hmm. in the well, game. 
so we're getting a little too a little too specific here, but did you notice that that Chancellor Brewington? Uh, Chancellor Brewington. Great name. Great <laughs> football name. Um, did you notice the? We ran three straight plays, and we ran one where Chancellor Brewington was coming in motion from the, the far side of the field to the near side of the field, mm-hmm. and absolutely blew up the defensive end. I think it was outside linebacker that had uh, contain, and uh, we get two three yards on the rush. And then we flip the play, and he goes in motion the other way, and it's the exact same play, just the other side. And he blows up that same dude. Mm-hmm. And then the third time, they flip it one more time. He's coming in motion, and that dude is just expecting to take on a block and get absolutely destroyed again because it's Chancellor Brewington coming full speed. Uh, he's lined up like in his stance and comes around the corner and like sees Brewington coming, and uh, he's like bracing for the hit. And Brewington just runs right past him, and he's uncovered, and Martinez just flips out to him for a touchdown. It's one of those things where like. It, you don't really notice it uh, on your first watch, but as I went back and watched it again, I went, oh, that's like that's a great play call. And that dude was so ready for Brewington to blow him up again and us to just try to power yeah, the ball into really the goal line again. Football. And uh, Brewington ran right past him, didn't touch him, and he was wide open for a touchdown. So I like that play. It kind of reminds me of maybe it was the same drive, but you know, in the first half, there were back-to-back plays. Austin Allen just runs to the left, boom, hit him, and he got a first down on both, I believe both plays. Um I like to see that. It'll be interesting how the tight ends mix in because Vokalek's been out with an injury and he mm. was supposed to be like 1B to Austin Allen. So it'll be interesting how they mix those guys once Vokalek's back. Hopefully well, we've back been having a lot, of, uh, a lot of still one tight end sets. Um, yeah. I, I was reading a story from, uh, from Derek Peterson today and apparently 80% of Nebraska's uh, offensive snaps so far this year in the first two games have been in 11 personnel, which is one tight end and one back, one running back, I mm-hmm. should say. Um, and the the expectation was we were going to have a lot of two tight end sets with run, run, one running back this year. And I think Vokalek being on the mend from his injury has uh, has derailed that just a little bit. Um, but as we saw on Saturday, I know it's Fordham. I know you can't take too yeah. much out of it. Uh, we were at least getting good movement on the offensive line after the first quarter. Um, we definitely started to, to wear on that, that front seven a little bit of Fordham aside from 47 Greenhaven. That guy, was, that guy went off. All over the field. However... He wasn't really, for the most part, making any tackles in our backfield. It was a lot of him just being like the last guy from Fordham that that we had to beat, and he was he was cleaning up the mess. He was just like saving them because we didn't have. We can talk about the running backs already. We didn't have any big runs. I think our biggest run was a fifteen yarder. Mm-hmm. That might have even See, been Toure's and, run. And I'm okay with that because I look at it and I go, we stuck with the run game. We the 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 small one and two yard gains in the first quarter turned into four and five yard gains in the second quarter and come the third quarter they were turning into seven and eight yard gashes the offensive line got more comfortable the offensive line got more comfortable i think we wore on them and that that's why i think fans were mad after the i didn't say that i think that's why that is why fans were mad after the illinois game whenever we only gave our running backs 19 carries for 50 something yards against illinois and uh we looked like we abandoned that run game far too early and we couldn't protect martinez and you go and you look at and you go like why did we abandon the run whenever we couldn't protect Martinez in the first place? I get it. We're down 21 points with yeah. uh, 20 minutes left to go, but it was still abandoning the run too early. This game, we, we didn't lose our faith in it early, despite the mm-hmm. fact that uh, Fordham stopped us a couple times, uh, stopped us for no gain a couple times. We didn't get away from it. We kept on pounding the rock, and eventually those those one- and two-yard gains turn into five- and six-yard gains, and you're and you're racking up the rushing yardage. I guess we hadn't really talked about the Illinois game because last time mm-hmm. I talked to you, that was, was, that was the pregame. B- before the pre-game. Illinois, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, the current shirt I'm wearing right now is Run the Damn Ball. It's from Triple B's Printing here in Lincoln. Um, they sent me a bunch of shirts recently, so I'm giving them a shout-out every wow. podcast. Wow, that's, yeah. that's almost a sponsorship. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's pretty close. Maybe we're working towards there. I'm not, I'm not trying to force anything, but Triple B's Printing, they have great shirts, a lot of Nebraska-oriented shirts, um, so go check them out. But we can get back to the running game. 
Uh, correction, real quick for myself. The longest rush we had was 21 yards, and that was from Toure. And then Steph and Martinez both had 19-yard rushes. So nothing crazy, but, I mean, overall we rushed for 329 yards. Ten guys got carries. Um, Yant had 25 yards. Scott had 30 yards. Savion had 31 and two touchdowns. Um, you know, those guys got in. Marquise had 101 yards. So, honestly, love what I saw from the run game. We They got the job done. Hopefully we can continue that this week. And uh, so, yeah. And I, I think from what I saw in that game is – Marquis Step needs 20-plus carries per game every single game from here on out. He solidified to me that he is the back that runs like a Nebraska running back. Gabe Irvin, I think he's got potential, and I think he still has a place in the offense. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think Marquis Step does what Gabe Irvin does better. I think he always falls forward. I think he hits the right hole most of the time. Uh, he is a little bit more reluctant to bounce, bounce things outside. He's, I mean, he kind of gets what we're doing. Is that's, Hey, sometimes it's all right to get three or four yards, fall forward. Uh, I really liked what I saw at a marquee step, and I really think he solidified his spot as the number one back. It's it's listed on the depth chart that they came out with today, as well as in like the uh, the starting lineup videos as uh, Gabe Irvin or marquee step. Yeah, uh, they're they're kind of they're one A one B right now, and I think it should be step number one, and then Gabe Irvin or Sevion Morrison for that too. Let's just go ahead and talk about the depth chart. I I need to do a quick little rant here and I, it's not really based upon the running backs I agree with what you said I think step he even looks slimmer I think than he did when he was at USC he looks really good right now uh on the field and overall so but with the receivers I think that the lineup is just a little bit off and the way they put it on the depth chart you got Toure Martin and, and Lewer as like the three um starters and then after them it's Belt Betts and Manning Brody Belt like kind of gets on the field a little bit but not really if, okay i'm just going to go into what i think the like main five receivers should be for nebraska i think it should be toure martin manning betts and brown because i mean say what you will about i mean lure and falk they'll you know they'll do anything to be on the field they're they work really hard Solid players, you know, good hands. I like those guys, but in terms of, like, ceiling, I feel like the best athletes that we have at the receiver position are the five guys I, I mentioned. Betts, Martin, Brown, uh, Manning, and Toure, especially with Toure as, like, the number one guy. I think those should, those should be your five main guys at receiver, and I don't think we see enough of them. Uh, what, what the coaching staff says is they're playing the guys that show them uh, that they're doing the right things in the, in the week leading up to practice. And I, I respect that. However, Scott Frost, you're in year four and you are coaching for your job. Uh, at some point, you have to say, you know what? Omar Manning, the things he can do athletically are more impressive than the things Wyatt Lever can do uh, yep. uh, from a, just from a, a skill set point of view. Sure, Wyatt Lever does the right things in practice. However, he is not Omar Manning. I mean, we even saw that Omar Manning had a, a couple catches today or – Saturday, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, he had two long catches yesterday. Um, but he, Saturday, he yeah. still only had 25 total snaps. So I, I have the the breakdown here uh, in the game on Saturday before the the number two unit came in. Uh, Samari Toure led the wide receivers with 55 offensive snaps. Number two was Wyatt Lever with 40 offensive snaps. Number three was Levi Falk with 29 offensive snaps. And then you have Omar Manning with 25, uh, Xavier Betts with 23, uh, Alante Brown with six, and uh, Brody Belt with five. Okay. So it's a little bit different because uh, Oliver Martin was sitting out the game on Saturday. Uh, when you look at the Illinois game, 
uh, Samari Martin Toure was had the number one. Uh, well, it, it was yards wise. He yeah, was and two probably. Pretty much Toure and Martin had the same. It was sixty and fifty-seven, which the difference there is pretty negligible. Uh, then that was followed up by Wyatt Lieber with forty-five uh, and Omar Manning with thirty. Yeah, and I don't want to downplay Lewer or um, Falk because I think they're both good players. I just think when it comes to like giving our team a best chance to win and like what they can do at the receiver position, Manning is like. 1B to Toure, talent-wise. Alante Brown, he made two guys like fall on Saturday. That was really good to see. Oliver Martin can sky up, and he's already a starter, so I really don't have to say much about him. But I think Xavier Betts has a good ceiling, too. I think uh, he's a really good player. Xavier Betts has been the guy that I think has been most confusing to me in fall camp in terms of their usage. I, I get yeah. Omar Manning. Um, he sounds like he's had a little bit of difficulty maybe learning the playbook. Uh, and being able to be a guy who can be on the field every single snap. I mean, Nebraska does have a, a pretty complicated playbook. Uh, you look at the routes they run, and it's nothing that crazy, but there's a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, doing similar things from different sets. And uh, I get it. There's the jargon you have to get through. And I'm glad that they're getting at him, him out there for 25, 30 snaps a game. Uh, I'd like to see that number move up just a little bit. But they are getting him out there, and they are getting him involved in the offense. I look at Xavier Betts, and I go, that dude is – from what I've seen on the field, uh, more athletically gifted than a lot of the guys that are starting above him. I look at Levi Falk, uh, Wyatt Lever. Uh, I even look at, I mean, Oliver Martin's been really good, but I think just in terms of pure athleticism, uh, Xavier Betts has been he's more just a impressive. Little bit taller, to me. yeah. He's, he's more impressive to me, and yet you're seeing Xavier Betts get two snaps against Illinois, and they. They upped his usage against Fordham. I think that's because Oliver Martin wasn't playing. They got him up to 23 snaps, but it's still one of those things where I go, it, it feels like a little bit of a wasted talent sitting on your bench, especially whenever all the the talk coming out of fall camp is we're going to be rotating our receivers. We're going to make sure a lot of guys are getting snaps. We feel like we have talent there. Uh, and 23 snaps in a game across pretty much, call it three quarters, that the starters were playing. I mean, he's out there for, that's a third of the snaps. Yeah. he's better. He's a better player than that. That's what I think. I was ranting about it last week when I was talking with my brother about the game. Um, but hopefully we can see more of Betts. I think he's a really good player. Uh, if we you know get him, get him the right snap count, develop him well. Um, you know, look at the defense as well. I think they had a little bit of bend. You know, I think at times the slot, the, the well, the middle of the field or whoever was guarding the slot receivers, they were getting burned a little bit, especially in the first half. And you know, it didn't show on the scoreboard as much because we got three interceptions. Well, that, so. that's what this this Scott Frost and I guess I should, should say Eric Shenander defense was supposed to be when he came in here. Is when you look at what they did at UCF, it was never about um, playing like that 2009 defense and stonewalling people. It was never about uh, not letting these teams get any first downs. It's okay to let them move the ball between the 20s. It's about getting off the field, high red zone efficiency, holding them to field goals, and getting turnovers. That's what Nebraska yeah. did against Fordham. Is held them to a field goal on one drive. Good. Awesome. You blocked it. That's momentum change in play. Uh, you had three interceptions. Uh, that's what this what this Shenander defense was supposed to be. It's a question of can they keep it up as we get into to higher competition. Uh, Buffalo is going to be a, a great next test. I, I know we're not there. Uh, we're not to the, the Buffalo preview <laughs> part of the podcast yet. Uh, but it's going to be a great test to see uh, can they can they keep that up because they did not do that well against Illinois. Illinois played a clean game offensively, uh, and Nebraska's defense. They forced one fumble, which was a good play. Uh, but besides that, I mean, we didn't. Force yeah, it was it was Nebraska's defense played well. Uh, and really, Illinois' offense was set up by Nebraska's offense making mistakes and turning the ball over. Um, but they weren't 
giving the Nebraska offense advantageous positions to to start their drives and uh, put them in places to score points. I think Nebraska's defense did that a lot better on Saturday. Um, and, like, I mean, look at JoJo Doman. Fordham was driving. They could get some momentum there if they, if they go down the field and score. Um, but instead, JoJo Doman makes a play and uh, and gets the ball back for the offense. And that, that's what this is all about is, uh, I should say, the, the Shenander defense is all about is just let him move the ball between the 20s, but then bow up when you have to, get the ball back, hold him to a field goal. Yeah, I think if we're ever in obvious passing situations as a defense, the only change I might personally want to make, they're not going to do this. They don't listen to me. But Maybe they uh, should. Yeah. I think keep Doman on the field as like a linebacker, but take another linebacker off and put on Braxton Clark or Miles Farmer, another safety. Someone in the nickel spot. Someone who can guard a slot receiver maybe a little bit better than Doman can. I mean, Doman, he's a really good athlete, but he's probably weighing like 225. He's not going to keep up well with, you know, like a little slot receiver quite as well as a DB would, in my opinion. And and Doman's been a guy I was honestly expecting more from. I know he he got the pick on Saturday, but he was really quiet against Illinois. And... uh, Outside of that pick on Saturday, I didn't think he was making all that many plays. And for a guy that uh, was last year one of the better players on the defense making plays, uh, we were all really excited whenever he decided to come back. Uh, I don't want to call it a disappointing year because uh, I don't pretend to know all the assignments. Maybe he's doing his job really well, and that's why they're going different places with the ball, and that's why he's not making plays. So I don't want to speak too much on it, but I don't think I've been too impressed with the performance that he's been putting on the field so far. I mean, you could say the same thing about Cam Taylor Britt, honestly. Whenever whenever there was hype about him being like a, a guy who could be all Big Ten this year, he could be a, a guy who could go in the first, second, third round of the draft this year. He's making bonehead plays on special teams. Uh, yeah, he's, he had, he's had, had two, two and two games now. And, uh, that's, that's and, the only and thing it, that... he hasn't been the lockdown that we've hoped he's been, uh, or hoped he was going to be when we came into this year. I think, so I looked at defensive stats from last game. He had zero tackles. Taylor Britt had zero tackles. So, what that tells me is either a he didn't need to tackle anybody because um, the other guys are tackling people and he's you know he's in the secondary. And they're going to other places with. And the ball. also they're not going to throw. They maybe were just weren't throwing at him. I mean, maybe I'm biased here, but I think he probably was locking them down on most plays. It, it wasn't that case against Illinois though. Against Illinois, he had more tackles because there was times whenever the receiver was getting a cushion on him and yeah, he, he was routes. rallying to the ball, making plays well. Um, but it's not what we saw at the end of last year where he is, you know, making these crazy athletic interceptions. Uh, he's really, I mean, towards the end of last season, he was becoming the lockdown corner that we haven't had in years at Nebraska. Yeah. And from what I've seen so far this year, uh, two games is still a small sample size. I, I wouldn't put him in that lockdown category yet this year. Yeah. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I paid too much attention to the defense quite yet uh, to make, you know, well, the, the defense case. hasn't been the problem this year, really. Well, that's that's true. I was There's a bigger l- problems. <laughs> I was a little concerned with the big runs. Not, I mean, maybe they weren't big runs, but they they were able to rip off some nice runs against us last Saturday. The the linebacking core um has not been up to snuff when you look at the how the defensive line and the secondary as a whole has been playing. I really like our outside linebackers. I think Caleb Tanner's improved. Garrett Nelson plays. His Caleb team. Tanner's been much better this season. Yeah, Nelson plays his ass off. Mm-hmm. Sorry for anyone who doesn't want to hear cursing, but you know he does. Um, but inside linebackers, I think we got guys who play really hard, but they've definitely had some holes uh, that were that were shown last Saturday. Luke Reimer plays with his hair on fire, but he's found himself out of positions at times to make a tackle where he's lunging. And I know he's he had a, a shoestring tackle against Fordham where he tripped the guy up, but he also had a a missed tackle on a long run that was before the touchdown. Um, 
on that same drive where he did not come up and fill the hole very well um, and tried to lunge and make a play and couldn't do it. That was the one where uh, I believe it was Deontay Williams came in and hit the running back hard and he had to go off the field with an injury right afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on that play where he didn't take a great angle to the ball, fill in the hole. Um, and then I also look at Nick Henrich and he's just looked slow compared to, compared to other guys in the field, even on Fordham. Uh, which was a little bit disappointing to see. I, I think uh, Chris Klarovich played really well. Uh, sorry if I butchered the name. I think I'm pretty close. Uh, you're pretty close, yeah. Close enough. You know who I'm talking yeah. about. Sorry if his parents are listening at home. <laughs> I, I, I apologize for disrespecting <laughs> yeah. the Klarovich family name. Um, but either, I, I, I think I'm getting it, though. Yeah, that, that's why I don't know. I don't know if it's Klarovich or Klarovich. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, he impressed me more than Nick Henrich did uh, on Saturday. And long season, I know uh, Nick Henrich is a guy that came in out of Burke with a lot of hype. Um, four-star, uh, one of the top athletes in the state. But uh, I think what I've seen from Klarovich slash Klarovic and, uh, and Luke Reimer should make them the starters moving forward. We'll see if uh, if that transpires. I guess that could bring us into the depth chart. Yeah. I mean, what do you – I know you were telling me before we started recording, you kind of don't like the depth chart. You don't think it's legitimate. Like, you want to go in-depth with that or – Yeah, I mean, you look at it and I go – this isn't telling us there's so many ores in the depth chart that it, I mean, sh- granted that is how this coaching staff works where they're trying to rotate guys in and out and keep their team fresh. Um, I but, think it's good for the defense and, t- and especially when you get into the bulk of the big 10 schedule, you want to be like 18 deep, but, but with guys who can just go, but come but, Monday, I mean, Marquis step uh, led the, uh, the team in snaps and it was, I mean, sort of close, but not really Marquis step had 27 carries uh, with the first teamers. Uh, Savion Morrison was second with 21, and then Gabe Irvin was third with 17. And you look at the depth chart, and it's Gabe Irvin one, Marquis Step two, Savion Morrison four, Ramir Johnson's at three, and uh, Ramir Johnson didn't get any snaps with the first team offense. So I look at that and I go, well, that's just clearly not even true. If Savion Morrison, or sorry, if Ramir Johnson isn't getting onto the field at all against Fordham, why is he still listed in the top three of this depth chart? I know yeah. there's ores in there, but it's still he's still number three. I liked what I saw from Yant. I kind of. You know what? We're on run the damn ball. I want to see triple option with Yant. I also want to see triple option with Omar Manning coming around on a fly sweep or something because I think we could do a lot with that. And we talked about this uh, in our, our preview pod for Illinois. Why have we not been using Jacquez Yant in the uh, in short, short, yardage. short yardage? Dude, down he distance, weighs yeah. like 245 probably, and he's just like a strong dude. Like no one wants to tackle him. And, he, I mean, Fordham, I'm, I've said it multiple times here already got to take a, this game a little bit with a grain of salt. They're yeah. not they're not the, the same level of competition that we're going to be seeing the rest of the season. Worst team we played since, like, Bethune-Cookman. But our, our backups were still playing their first-teamers, and he was still running over guys and, and falling forward better than what I saw from Sevian Morrison and Gabe Irvin. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't have the wiggle. He kind of just puts his head down, sees the hole, um, may, might not have the best vision, but he falls forward and he lays the boom. I, I would love to see him in a third and one. We haven't seen that yet this year. I think Ramir Johnson would look better if we could create these big holes where he just – he's probably the fastest guy we got, but he, we just haven't had those holes for him, and he just hadn't shown a whole lot. I think he has potential, but we'll you know get into the Big Ten schedule, and if we're not creating those holes, he's not going to be doing a ton, I don't think, from mm-hmm. the running back spot. Elsewhere on the depth chart, uh, I look at the offensive line, and – the starters they have, it's Corcoran, Ethan Piper, Cam Jurgens, Matt Sichterman, Bryce Binhart. That's what we saw on Saturday. Um, and Greg Austin said a lot about, oh, uh, we have these guys training multiple positions. But Brock Bando is listed as the backup right guard, and he was playing left guard by the end of the game against Illinois. And I've heard that it's been the battle between Ethan Piper and Brock Bando for the left guard spot. And I'm like, why is, why is he backup right guard on the depth chart? Like, I, I'm not sure if – 
this is just some intern in the athletic department that's whipping this up because it needs to be in the media guide. Like they didn't, they didn't I come out with one last week and, and the media happens. was mad. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the coaching staff has no say in this and this is just, you know, what the, uh, what the media or the, the, uh, the media relations people got preseason. So it's still like the most updated, most recent one they got. So they just put it in there, but like this, it, it doesn't look right. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever I look through this and I look at who they have listed at one, who they have listed at the two, like it, there's, there's things that just aren't making sense to me. Yeah. Well, we'll probably know a little bit more come Buffalo, but I mean, mean, case in point, Oliver Martin's listed as the starting punt returner. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, he he didn't play on this past Saturday, but it was still, it was, it was still Cam Taylor Britt starting uh, against Illinois. It was was Cam Taylor Britt starting after Britt had that safety, but yeah, in the Illinois game. But yeah, and they said today, I believe they said that, you know, Britt's going to still be a guy back at punt returner. And I hope, I mean, he had two decent punt returns last year against one against Purdue and one against Penn State. So hoping he like kind of get that going. He's a really good athlete. So hopefully we see the end of the Cam Taylor Britt punt uh, punt problems, punt return problems. But yeah, but at the end of the day, I look at this depth chart and there was people on Twitter like trying to trying to analyze it. And so, don't don't analyze this depth chart too much. Yeah. I don't really think it means anything. I agree. Well, let's flip to my favorite Nebraska story from last weekend, and you know, you know a whole lot about this. Um, so they gave out it was like thousands of tickets to kids from around the state. Um, so uh, I actually got the chance last week to uh, to interview uh, Dr. Lawrence Chatters, who is the I don't want to mess up his job title here. He's the uh, I have it pulled up here in my history. It's the uh, excuse me, it's loading. <laughs> uh, the senior associate athletic director for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I want to make sure okay. I, I got all of all the verbiage right. I, I was going to paraphrase it, but I'll, I'll get the verbiage yeah, right. That, yeah. That's what he is. Um, and uh, apparently, he came up with the idea uh, that they uh, that they would give these tickets away, or they'd find donors to pay off these tickets and give them to lower income families, uh, underprivileged youth. Um, and it, it was his idea because he came from a family that was here in Nebraska, where it was a family of uh, five kids. Uh, his parents um, and it was uh, his stay-at-home mom and a working dad and he's like I didn't get the chance in my upbringing to go to Nebraska football games Uh, it was whenever he joined junior ROTC uh, in high school that he finally got the chance to go he would go to games and he'd work and that's what he'd do and he got a chance I think he said 94 was his first game he ever went to and uh, good first year to go to a game (laughs) great first year (laughs) to go to a game Um, but he just had this idea of they had about 2,500 tickets that were unsold, mostly uh, tickets that weren't claimed by Fordham and were given back to university. Uh, and they didn't know what to do with them. So Trev Alberts tasked um, the athletic department with finding what we're going to do with these tickets to, to keep the sellout streak going. And, and Shatter's idea was the one that stuck out most to Trev Alberts. He said, let's find a way to get underprivileged kids in the stadium. Uh, and they, they reached out to uh, a few of their donors that uh, you know they, they knew were pretty passionate about the the sellout streak and uh they got two anonymous donors to uh buy the rest of these tickets off and make them available for uh for a groups of underprivileged youth i know the malone center is one that uh sent some kids i know there was oh, kids awesome. from the uh the winnebago reservation that got to come and see yeah. the first husker game as well as individual families that just said hey we don't get to go to these um we we need four tickets for my two kids uh, and then the mom and the dad so I think they got up to about 2,000 of the 2,500 tickets uh, that they ended up giving out. So oh, that's great. there's about 2,000 people in there uh, that, I mean, I know the parents may not have been their first game, but I know a good majority of those were kids that were seeing their first ever Husker game, getting to see the sea of red. I love this story so much because 
I think for a lot of you know Husker fans, they become fans as kids, and it's kind of like you just you just become committed because it's like you've always been a fan. Like, you know, you got local kids. Like, I live right near the Malone Center, um, that area of Lincoln. So it's awesome. You know, those kids get to go. To the, you know, a lot of them probably their first Husker game. They wouldn't have ended up. You know, they wouldn't have gone anyway. And so it's kind of like they have now they have sort of a new experience they'll always remember and they have a connection to the program and just Nebraska football and a sense of uh, belonging like this is okay this is a team that can root for and I, I really love that and especially you know you get kids from you know northeast Nebraska the Winnebago reservation they're coming down I, I really love this story I mean I remember when I became a fan as a young kid I was probably like six years old so and that was a great experience. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a lifetime memory. Mm-hmm. I, I, we were talking about this on the last uh, podcast we did together. And that was, we talked about your first Husker game. We talked about my first Husker mm-hmm. game, I think, where I went to a, a Texas A&M game back in like 05, 06. Because I, I don't want to say I was an underprivileged youth, but it wasn't, it wasn't like ever in the budget for us to be able to go, okay, yeah, let's drop 50 bucks on a ticket for my five-year-old son. I have an yeah. older brother who's two and a half years older than me. So it would have been a hundred bucks for us, for just the two of us to go. Plus we need a parent there. Um, so then it's a hundred and fifty dollar day. Uh, it's a long game, so you need food. It's turned into a two hundred, two hundred fifty dollar plus time commitment plus parking. It, I mean, just to be able to send three people to a Husker game, um, I'd say pretty conservatively, you got to have three hundred dollars set aside. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of families out there in Nebraska, parking. even Omaha, Lincoln, even in rural communities that don't have three hundred dollars that they can set aside to send their kids to a Husker football game. So I think this is an awesome idea. Do it again, um, man. Do, if we have extra tickets against Buffalo, do it again. We should can try to continue this. Get local Nebraska kids loving Nebraska football. And I don't think this is any sort of PR stunt. Obviously, the, the sellout streak is very important uh, to the people within the athletic department. I think it can be a, a big recruiting pitch to say, hey, we've sold out 375 consecutive games. We got the best fans. And whenever you're only 2,500 short, yeah, please. Uh, if there's donors that are willing to send these kids to the game, this is not a PR stunt in any way. It's doing the right thing. That, yeah. That's how I see it. No, it really is doing the right thing. I just think overall, the feeling I had on Saturday, I can't, it's kind of hard to explain. Maybe you experienced the same type of feeling. We hadn't had a game day like that in uh, two years where it was mm-hmm. like everybody's out, you know, um, you know, they're downtown, they're with, they're hanging out with their friends and family, everyone's excited. It's, it's a game day in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I remember thinking like, man, like, you know, we're both seniors now at UNL, you know, we're coming towards the end of our time here, but... It was kind of like a weird, like happy, sad feeling that I had. It was like it was like a nostalgic thing that I, I hadn't really experienced in you know a while. And I was like, yes, we're finally back to uh, you know, Nebraska football. I just remember you know in Lincoln, and I just remember like being in the stadium, East Side student section. I just like just, like really just like soaking things in, being like, wow, like we're really back. Like that was a really good feeling. What, you know, what, win or lose, you know. Yeah. What got me was. I was down there, and I, I was lucky enough that I uh, I worked with Husker Vision two years ago, or last year, I guess, uh, and I got to go to these, the games in the empty stadium, and I didn't, like, at the time, I didn't realize how weird it was until I got back in there today, and after seeing, you know, uh, how many games was it last year? Four home games um, where the, the there was no environment there. The, like, what got me is I was walking up to the stadium, and I heard somebody do a Go Big Red chant, and I went, oh my gosh. wow, I haven't heard a Go Big Red chant in two years. And it's one of those things, like, growing up in Lincoln, I used to hear that every single week. Yes. In, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it was um, a Friday at school, and someone's talking about the Husker. Like, somebody pulls out at recess. Like, it, it just, I mean, you would hear it all the time. And it had been two years since I'd heard one, and I heard that, and I went, wow, okay. Like, we're, we are back. We're put back. A, put a smile on my face. Yeah, I was just like, 
Man, before the game, I went to, if you know what Latitude Apartments are, uh-huh. I used to live there. I have some friends who still live there. I went to the game, uh, before I went to the game, went there. And I remember just being on the balcony, because that's where some of my friends live. And I just, like, <laughs> get up, like, as loud as I could, go Big Red. And, like, there's all these old people who are down there, like, who, uh, you know, repeated the chant, I guess. So, I mean, that was, I hadn't done that in so long, man. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a good feeling. And then after the game, everyone's in a good mood. It's just... It was good to have game days back in Lincoln. It's Nebraska. just good to be back. I, and I went to I went to two games last year too. I got in the stadium for two games, and it felt like a, like a weird high school game. It did and it was parents only, mm-hmm. no band, um, and it was it was just weird. The the and the energy on the field was so much better. The 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 team was feeding off the energy inside the crowd. And that's something like last year. I was like, yeah, the the, the team's playing pretty well. I mean. I understood that there's the the aspect of the fan energy, but I didn't realize how differently that team played. They were all hyping each other up, um, a lot of great celebrations. People were were getting hyped up in the end zone after they scored, after those interceptions. The sideline was going crazy because yeah. there's ninety thousand people cheering for you, and it just it creates a different kind of energy. And also, you could see it taken out of Fordham every single time uh, they messed up. There's ninety thousand people cheering for the other team. It takes it out of the opponents too. And I don't think you saw that last season. Whenever you look at I mean, Illinois came in here and steamrolled us. Minnesota came in here and steamrolled us. It's it's a lot different whenever it's a a third and four, and you can't do your uh, your pregame your pre-snap calls you because have there's no ninety thousand people cheering at you. Yeah, yeah, you have no idea. Um, I remember when I did a podcast with Nuri. I can't pronounce his full name. Nuridin Nuieli. Yes, I'm close. You're you're pretty close. Uh, he told me because he started. Uh, I believe it was their first game of the year for Colorado State when he was a true freshman because, you know, the guy in front of him had messed up in practice some and I, or something like that. And so Nuri's starting. And it's the Colorado versus Colorado State. Um, what's that? What do they call that game? They, they play it at, uh, at the Broncos Stadium. The, yeah, they, they play at the Broncos Stadium. I forgot. What, the, the field formerly known as Sports Authority Field at Mile High. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they call it the, the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he, uh, so he's starting. His first ever college game against Colorado, and he told me that he had absolutely no idea what was going on the first drive, <laughs> or the first play of the first drive. He had no idea what was happening. Like, it was so loud, and he just, like, in his stance, like, okay, I'm going to guess that we were passing, and so like or whatever it was. And you think about it, Fordham had never, ever played in – none of those guys had played in an atmosphere like that. Mm-mm. None of them had played in an atmosphere of 90,000 fans. So they definitely were, like, probably a little a little bit in shock, but also, like, jazzed up just as much as we were because, you know, they, they'll never have that again probably. So I think that's probably why they started the game off so well. Yeah. Is, uh, you, you do have that adrenaline. But that kind of brings me to Buffalo here. Buffalo, I mean, it's been a while. I mean, they're, they're one of the teams that like, does get scheduled against these big teams. Um, but it's been a while. Last year they only had their interconference matchups. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of the same of they're going to have to have that adjustment period of getting back used to playing in front of 90,000 people. Or, I mean, this, for a lot of these guys, it's the first time they've ever played in front of 90,000 people. That's true. They went 6-1 and one last year. Their only loss was in the MAC championship to Ball State. They had a good year. They beat Marshall in their bowl game. They lost their head coach, uh, Lance Leopold. He went to Kansas. Then they hired, I believe his name is uh, Maurice, Lingu- Maurice Linguist, uh, who – was going to be the defensive coordinator or co-defensive coordinator at Michigan. So he's their coach now. And uh, I'll actually be calling the game on KRNU this weekend. I'm super excited about it. I don't know if I would be able to, like, promote myself on Run the Damn Ball. Are you doing uh, play-by-play or color commentary? They have me scheduled for color, which I want to do play-by-play. But, you know, my professor doesn't need to do that. Play-by-play is easy. I, 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 shouldn't I say think that. they're both easy. They're okay. both kind of 
it, it, it's, it's two different things where it's like play by play you're just like you're describing what's on the ball in the far hash yeah uh omar manning in motion snap back to martinez looking left throwing left like it's easy whereas cole you have to come in with a little bit more analysis you have to like be tracking the you stats you really gotta like, like have your brain working yeah, 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 that's the thing is with color commentary, you have to really be thinking. Whereas with play by play, it's just like you get into your rhythm. You need you're just, to. You're just, you're just saying what you're seeing. You have like like a checklist of a couple things you always need to make sure you're sharing through radio. It's not it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, it takes a lot of practice. Yes, um, that's but true. Definitely something I'm comfortable you know, like going after. Uh, so I'm excited about that. They got a you know good couple running backs. Uh, Kevin Marks had 750 yards last year. Uh, Kevin Marks Jr. I believe is his full name. Uh, seven touchdowns rushing um so he's a good player i believe they had another guy rushing for their team uh last week his name was shoot he had, he had more rush yards than kevin marks that was uh ron cook jr at 94 yards and a touchdown so they're gonna have a solid run game um that's that's gonna be interesting to watch you would think but also on, on the other side of things they haven't played a team like Nebraska in a long, long time. I mean, that's that's what you know, I'm excited about. We're going to be able to, you know, give them a good test and hopefully win comfortably. I think we could win by a few scores. I mean, last time they played a Power Five team was uh, was Rutgers in 2018. Yeah, that was probably uh, their, maybe 2019. They had played a Power they, Five. They beat Rutgers pretty good, but also Rutgers was terrible really at the time. Back then. Um, and then they lost to Army back in 2018. But like, look at who they played last year. Um, I get it. A good MAC team is, like, still, like, you, you can't sleep on them. They're, they're good, as good, good as the worst Big Ten team. So I'd, I'd say something around there, yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, the, the good MAC teams are good enough to put a put a scare into some lower-level Power 5 teams. But at the end of the day, we have four-star talent here. We have athleticism that most of these guys on the Buffalo team have never faced. I mean, look at look at who they played last year. Northern Illinois, who beat us a couple years ago, so I probably can't talk too much but about But then we that. beat them the, the two years later. So. Um, Miami of Ohio. Bowling Green, yeah, they didn't. Kent State, <laughs> Akron, like they those, lost. Those are not good MAC teams. Yeah, no, they're, they're not. They're not, and they lost to Ball State, who was probably the best team that they played last season. Yeah. So I, I don't want to discount them at all because, like, they are still a good MAC team, but they lost their head coach. Uh, I think they lost eight guys starters in the transfer portal they lost to Kansas. Guys to Kansas, yeah. Uh, I think it was eight. I think they lost three starting offensive linemen, some defenders. Uh, they lost. Two starting defensive linemen. They lost like a safety. They're not the Buffalo team they were last year. They're not the Buffalo team they were last year. And at the end of the day, we still outclass them on the field in terms of what we have. It, it, it's going to come down to the same things we're talking about against Illinois, which is not shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, being able to to rise through adversity. You're going to have more adversity in a game against Buffalo than you do against Fordham. Uh, so it really comes down to has Nebraska learned their lessons from week one? Uh, I think we saw them working through some of those mistakes, even against Fordham. Um, and you also have a, a lot more room for error against Fordham. But I think we saw it in that first quarter, early in the second quarter, whenever we had some struggles, we worked through some of those problems. It's just a question of how much have we learned since that Illinois game. If we have another performance like Illinois, oh, gosh. I, I will be very scared for this Buffalo team. But if we have made two weeks of progress, which I think we have, um, it should be a, a win. It really should. I think we should win by two to three scores. I, I just think that's how it should go. I mean, it's a must-win game. And they're gonna, you know, be playing their tails off against us because we're probably the biggest game on their schedule. I know they got Coastal Carolina next week, and they're ranked. They're a solid team. I also love Coastal Carolina's offense, but um, the Chanticleers. I love that team, but we'll we'll, we'll we don't have to talk about Coastal Carolina. Um, but yeah, it's a must-win game. I expect us to win by seventeen to twenty points. From a talent perspective, I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah, from from a talent perspective, I think Buffalo could give us a scare though. 
Yeah, and I, I think they're good enough to give us a scare. Um, after all, saying all this stuff about how they didn't play anybody last year, they've lost a lot of their talent. They, they are still good enough to give Nebraska a scare, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think Nebraska has to look themselves in the mirror and say, we're Nebraska, we're better than that performance we had against Illinois. It's, it's time for us to go out and prove it, um, and we need to be 2-1 heading to Norman, Oklahoma. It, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's put on the schedule to be a tune-up game. Yeah. Fordham was put on the schedule to be a tune-up game. Buffalo was also put on this game to be a to be a, a tune-up game. And you, you see teams lose their tune-up games. Washington lost to Montana this week. Like, you see it happen, <laughs> but it's happened way too much to Nebraska, and I think the players have to take that personally and say, okay, it, it's time for us to change the narrative here. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, we can just jump into the, some of the games that happened uh, this past weekend. Yeah, the, the, the big upset I got to put down is, uh, yeah, it's got to be Montana-Washington. I love that. UCLA LSU is also up there, but I I picked UCLA to win that one outright. That wasn't the biggest shock to me. LSU is not the same team they were two years ago. They're, they're not. UCLA looked pretty good against Hawaii, and Hawaii is Hawaii. But I, I picked UCLA to win that game. That one wasn't wasn't a huge surprise to me. I was surprised to see Montana go into Washington and beat the Huskies. I was impressed by UCLA's quarterback. I think he's improved over the past few years. Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, and they're, they're, I think he's running less than he used to be. He looks like he's improved. I, th- I think at one point, you know, UCLA was struggling just as much as Nebraska was, and now they look like they've improved a lot. So, I mean, LSU's not a good team, but they definitely handled LSU well. And there's, there's also the difference that UCLA got a tune-up game against Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Buffalo, to go back to them, they got a tune-up game against uh, Wagner. Wagner, who... <laughs> Probably a similar level to what we just faced, so... I'll Venmo you five bucks if you can uh, tell me where Wagner's from without looking it up. I didn't know. On uh, you on told me <laughs> before. I think it's the Bronx or something. Staten Island or Staten Island. Staten Island. So it, it's <laughs> um, uh, they're they're even a step down from Fordham. Like Nebraska played a better team in Fordham than Buffalo played in Wagner. Uh, so Buffalo's had one tune-up game. Nebraska's had it like we were exposed against Illinois. We've gotten a chance to fix some mistakes. I think we should be at a place that's ahead of Buffalo, and that's the same way that UCLA I think was at a place that was ahead of LSU. That was LSU's first game of the season. They were making some first game errors mm-hmm. where UCLA got to work through those errors against Hawaii, uh, and, and you know they, they played a cleaner game than LSU. They deserved to win. Exactly. The game that I enjoyed most on Thursday night was the Ohio State Minnesota game. Great game. Great game. I was scared of Minnesota, and mainly for just one reason. Besides that, their O line is massive, but Ibrahim was going off. Uh, he was having a really good game. I think he had two touchdowns. 183 yards, 163 yards actually, rushing. And then it looked like, you know, if you saw the replay, it looked like he tore his Achilles or something like that. So he's out for the year. And so, you know, that sucks for them. I'm less scared of Minnesota now going forward, but they're still going to be able to run the damn ball probably pretty well. The thing is, is I think we still don't know what that Ohio State team is. Uh, C.J. Stroud. Looks like a carbon copy of Justin Fields. He does, but but (laughs) – worse Justin not, Fe- yeah, Justin Fields was a special talent and from what I saw in that game CJ Stroud is not to that level yet he could be there soon he's still very young um but it reminded me of what I saw from Spencer Rattler last season where it is just like he he's got the the talent there but he wasn't making the same throws Justin Fields was making he wasn't hitting the same like Justin Fields was fitting things in windows that CJ Stroud wasn't even throwing towards and, he and he's and he's so, got yeah. he's got one of the best wide receiver cores we have ever, ever seen, seen in college football and he still only had 56 yards. I don't think – I mean, I, I don't want to discount Minnesota, but I'm going to discount Minnesota a little bit here. Um, 
it wasn't like they were playing the most lockdown defense in their secondary. No, C- yeah, CJ Stroud was missing guys. Um, he was under pressure a little bit. He looked like he was seeing ghosts at times, nervous in a first college game probably. Uh, but Ohio State is not the same team they were last year. Uh, so let's keep that in mind whenever you're looking at that Minnesota-Ohio State game. I, I think I wouldn't be shocked to see Ohio State lose a game this year. Um, I'm not yeah, gonna. I'm not gonna say they're going eight and four, but eleven and one, like that. That's reasonable thing. That's Ohio State team last year, or for this year, ten and two even. Um, there's gonna be a lot more teams in the Big Ten that are giving them scares this year. I agree on that. Uh, looks like the ACC and Pac-12 are not too hot at the moment. Virginia Tech law. Uh, Virginia Tech beat North Carolina, who was ranked number ten. I mean, I know it's first week, so some of these rankings are gonna be kind of crappy. But um, and then you had you know Clemson lost, okay, that Miami game, lost, Clemson, Georgia. I know people were bored with the offenses. I loved it. I loved it too, man. I'm happy to see the defenses. And this is not just, you know, Clemson, Georgia. This was overall college football. Defenses stepped up last weekend. Spread offenses aren't looking as hot as they once were with the way the defenses were playing. And Georgia's defense was flying around. They got like seven sacks. Yeah. Uh, and DJ, not even going to try his last name. Ungalele. Say that one more time. Ungalele or Ungalele or something like that. Ungalele. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have had some tough names to try to pronounce on this podcast here this afternoon. I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> but same thing I said where uh, C.J. Stroud isn't Justin Fields. D.J. is not Trevor Lawrence. And in college football at the moment, you go as far as your quarterback can take you. You, you got to start looking at the guys who are, are the <clears> quarterbacks. <throat> Yeah, exactly. But in, in modern college football, it's moving the same direction as the NFL, where it is getting harder and harder for you to be able to hide your quarterback play. Ten years ago, you could hide your quarterback play a lot better than you can now. Right now, to be a top five team, to be a college football playoff team, you would need to have one of the top ten quarterbacks in college football. And from what I saw, he played a great defense, DJ did, um, in, in, in Georgia, but he did not look like a top ten quarterback. Yeah, he didn't. You got to start looking for those guys early in the season. If you want to start predicting your college football playoff teams, start looking for the guys that look like they're the best quarterbacks, and those guys are going to be able to take their college football teams far because that's the way college football is moving. You need more than just a game manager. Having a game manager helps, but uh, you definitely need more than just you know a drop back, hand off the ball Iowa quarterback to win big. So you know, no shot at Iowa. They look really good as well. Yeah, they won big. <laughs> they had two pick sixes against Indiana. I think they had maybe like even more interceptions than just two. Uh, and they had a really solid game. Uh, so they're, they're looking tough. Probably the favorite right now in the Big Ten West, I'd say, is Iowa. They have a big game this uh, next week against Iowa State. Don't, don't hate on Wisconsin too much. I know they lost that game. Um, Mertz made some mistakes. But those look like first-game mistakes that I think they can get cleaned up. They outgained uh, Penn State by like – 43 uh, minutes of possession too. Yeah, 43 <laughs> minutes of possession. They outgained them by like 100 yards. They had like 15 more first downs in Penn State. It was like a Nebraska losing to Colorado type yeah, game. Yeah, they just were shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Um, so – I'm still excited to see. I think Iowa and Wisconsin is the battle for the Big Ten West. That's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. Uh, I don't even know when that game is. I assume it's later in the season because uh, that, that just feels like it should be a cold-weather game. Did you say Iowa-Penn State? Iowa-Wisconsin. Iowa-Wisconsin. Yeah, that's probably later in the season. I'm, I'm hoping that's like a November game. That would make it the most fun um, when you just look at the, what those two teams are traditionally known for. Um, but don't get too down on Wisconsin, I don't think. Uh, credit to Penn State. They, they won and win in time. Uh, they, they cause turnovers, especially but, but late. That looked like just a tough, tough draw for Wisconsin in week one, especially whenever they only played, what, four games last year? Yeah, they had hardly anything last year. Because they had all their COVID issues. Yeah. Uh, made, made some definite week one mistakes. That, that was my big takeaway from that one. I, I think Wisconsin was probably, I don't want to say the better team, but their offense looked pretty good aside from whenever it mattered the most. <laughs> yeah. 
They, they should have. They'd probably win that game about six or seven times if they played ten. Um, but you know, we can just keep rattling off games here. How about Kansas storming the field against South Dakota? What are your kind of reactions to that? And a three-point win. <laughs> uh, it's Kansas. Let them have it. Yeah, let I, them I, have I it. mean, I'm not hating on it. I think it was awesome. Like, good for them. That's their first win in two years. So, <laughs> yeah. That, that, um, that's Kansas football for you. Yeah. Michigan State, they had a running back run for 264. Four touchdowns over Northwestern. Northwestern didn't look too hot. Yeah, this is what we said in the, the preview pod before Illinois. We, we talked briefly about Northwestern. And they're a young, young football team. Um, result didn't surprise me all that much. They got a lot of talent, but they also don't have much experience. Uh, that's going to be a team that you're going to want to face early in the year as opposed to later in the year. I think they're going to get a lot better. Pat Fitzgerald's a great head coach. Uh, but at the moment, Michigan State is better than them. Mel Tucker looks like a great, great coach right now at the yeah. moment. And one game is a small sample size, but you saw that Michigan State team get better last season, and their talent on the field looked exponentially better than it did last season in that game against so, Yeah, they're looking tough. I'm a little bit, you know, concerned. If, I mean, we play them as like week five this year. That'll be a tough matchup. Because we, we go, I think we go back to back Northwestern and then Michigan State. Yeah, we do. Alabama looked unstoppable again. Shocker. I think that they're maybe even better because their quarterback, Bryce Young, uh, million dollar quarterback, he can run. And, you know, that's something that their quarterback last year. Um, I was, why did I forget his first? Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Um, really wasn't much. Really fast. Did you hear the uh, the story out of Patriots training camp? I know it's a college football podcast. But yeah. the story out of uh, Patriots training camp was that Mac Jones was teaching Cam Newton the Patriots playbook. Really? Yeah, that like uh, Cam Newton was really struggling in like two-minute drill and uh, really struggling pre-snap. So Mac Jones was helping teach Cam Newton the playbook Oh gosh. during training camp. <laughs> yeah, that's great, right? That was an interesting situation. I remember I talked about it in one of my classes, but – or I didn't, other students were. But, so they got rid of Cam Newton because he wasn't the starter? Like, what was that? Was that the official or? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I, do I think his status being unvaccinated contributed to it? Uh, probably a little bit. But also at the end of the day, Cam Newton is a big personality. And whenever you got a rookie quarterback, I don't think you want to have a big personality former MVP guy and Cam Newton sitting behind him. Because he's going to be looking over his shoulder all season. And Bill Pelichek wants to instill confidence in his young quarterback. So I think you you cut the guy that what happens whenever Mac Jones has a bad game. What's Cam Newton going to tweet? Like what's yeah. Cam Newton going to say? He's a guy who has a lot of self-confidence. Cam Newton does. Uh, you saw that when he took that tiny contract with all the incentives saying, depends on how you, how well you play you in the starting job, all this stuff. I don't think you want a guy, a former MVP that has all the self-confidence in the world sitting behind a rookie quarterback and Mac Jones who's bound to make mistakes. Yeah. Well, we don't, I mean, we haven't talked about NFL that much and maybe, we, I mean, it'd be fun to talk about more. I don't watch it nearly as much as college, college. football so much more entertaining that that's what this weekend reminded me i was like yeah last season college football bored me a little bit but we got back to, we got back to the tradition we got back to the passion yes. we got back to all the things i missed about college football after this weekend it like i was a little bit scared last last year i was like man maybe if nebraska sucks like college football just isn't the same for me to watch and then i watched this week and i went no nah, no nah, college football is still Dude, that's the greatest part of why sport i was ever. so happy this past Saturday, I was just, like, in such a good mood because, like, we were back. It was just good game just after us. good game. It was everyone's back. Um, also, don't want to look ahead too much. Tulane gave Oklahoma a scare, 40-35. to 35. Uh, Oklahoma got the win, but Tulane was driving. They were kind of close to pulling the upset there. Nebraska has a chance, in my opinion, in two weeks. Don't want to jump ahead. I'm just saying that I think we have a chance. Well, uh Copy this, put it in a little folder, you saying that, and we'll, we'll just evaluate come uh, September 19th. 
Yeah. And we'll, we'll see if you sound like a complete idiot or if, uh, <laughs> if you sound right. But yeah. what the, the funny quote to me was Spencer Rattler said after the game, he's like, yeah, Tulane was probably the hardest hitting team I've ever played. And I was like, have fun in the SEC, buddy. <laughs> oh, right. He may never end up playing the SEC if they don't go until 25 or three. I think is whenever they're, they're shooting for. Are they shooting for 23? Is, or? But let's be honest. Do you think they're going to want to play in the Big 12 again another season after this year? I mean, look what happened to Nebraska their last season in the Big yeah. 12. We were getting screwed over by the refs. It's going to be that a Texas horns A&M down fest. Game. Yeah. Uh, they're going to want to get out of there as soon as they can. Yeah. But Nebraska, Oklahoma, I'll be in Norman. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, me too. We'll see how it goes. I was hopeful that Louisiana would upset Texas, and that just didn't really happen. Texas was able to run the ball really well, uh, just controlled the game most of the time. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mean Louisiana will be competing in the Sun Belt, but they weren't going to you know live up to the beating Texas. Well, last what was your Saturday. favorite game of the weekend? You, favorite we, we, game? We talked about that like a little bit. We never actually like got a definitive answer from you though. Oh man, I, I can tell you mine right now. Go ahead. Florida State Notre Dame last night. Yeah, I didn't get to watch that because I was at a wedding uh, for my uh, cousin. Uh, shout out Casey and Hannah uh, Bender. Great wedding, but um, Dude. I saw I saw the end though. I didn't really see that. It was just some field goals. So, so Notre Dame was up thirty-eight to twenty at the end of the third quarter. Like their offense was starting to get into a rhythm. Uh, Jack Cohen, the former Wisconsin quarterback, was balling out, and then Florida State needs eighteen unanswered points uh, at the end of the game to send it to overtime. And they get the first touchdown. They get two point conversion, and then Mackenzie Milton comes in. Yeah, his first game back after doctors said like. I've never seen anybody else ever come back from an injury like this. Came, comes back and leads him back. So he, he comes in down 10, gets him a touchdown, gets him a field goal, um, and sends it to overtime. Uh, Notre Dame pulled it out. I think they did have a little bit more talent on the field last night. There was an incredible interception. Um, I, I can pull up the video. Uh, and I, I wish we could, uh, we could show it on the pod. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, could probably, I could probably find it. Who got the interception? Was it Florida State? Uh, it was Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Uh, so one of the, the guys who is a, uh, Oh, was it their safety? Yes. He, and he took his helmet off after he got the pick. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I saw that on the highlights. Um, here I have the, the wide angle here where you can see he literally is on the far side hash. And then with the ball in the air, he's still like 20 yards away and comes over and makes the interception. So, uh, what the coverage is, it's a, it's a cover three. And he, he was on the Seminoles logo and made it. Yeah, yeah. No, so and he made it on the, the on the sideline. Side so side, or right it, side it's line. a cover three. And what happens is, is he notices down here that the guy who's supposed to be deep blows his assignment. So he's, he's reading the quarterback's eyes, sees this guy blows his assignment, and he decides to come over and fill in for him in a, a zone that's not even his and makes the play, gets the interception. That's pro level. And then he took his helmet off afterwards. I thought that was kind of extra. but Yeah, but the, the game overall was awesome. You had all the Seminole fans doing the, uh, the chop. That like it was the same as watching uh, the Virginia Tech uh, tunnel walk. We're just like, yeah, it's the tradition of college football. It got me hyped up to see. Like, there was like this weekend. There was even like teams I don't even like. I enjoyed watching jump around. I've been in. I, I wasn't in the student section for jump around, but I've been in the stadium for jump around, and I thought it was super like overrated. Didn't think it was all that cool. However, whenever I saw them doing it again on Saturday, I was like, that's awesome. I miss college football, even though I don't even like jump around. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I remember watching. The Kinnick Wave, awesome. I was hanging out with my brothers last night after the wedding, and we just happened to throw a football game on that had already been played on like ESPN or it was a rerun. Mm-hmm. And I watched the jump around because the Wisconsin game was on TV, and I saw how happy and how much fun the Wisconsin fans were having. So I was like, yeah, I'm glad that they have that now. 
Um, Pac-12, not that impressive last weekend besides UCLA. Oregon squeaks by Fresno State. Uh, I believe I'm Cal not, lost in Nevada. I don't even Utah watch State. Big Pac-12 football anymore, honestly. Yeah, I don't take it that seriously. But they are Power 5. Utah State beat Washington State. And then uh, Stanford got you know stomped by Kansas State, in my opinion. And so not, you know, not that powerful of a conference right now. Oregon's going to have to uh, have a really tough test this weekend against Ohio State. So, I mean, I think it might just be another year of them beating each other up and not making the playoff, if I'm honest. Oh, it, it 100% should be another year of them beating each other up. Washington got beat by Montana. Montana. Like, yeah. like, come on. You have, you have to show us something before uh, we'll put you in the college football playoff. And at the moment, the only thing that Pac-12 has got fo- going for them is Pac-12 after dark. That's the only reason I watch Pac-12 because I go, well, it's, uh, it's 11 p.m. There's nothing else to watch. I guess I'll watch Pac-12 after dark. But, like, I will always watch a different conference over a Pac-12 game if there's a Pac-12 game on. Like, I, I don't even care to watch Pac-12 football anymore. Yeah. I mean, also BYU beat Arizona, which is, I mean, Arizona's been bad recently. Um, also a game that I called this one as in terms of, like, I predicted it right back in, like, June. I did all these – I did some videos for some Big Ten teams on, like, what I thought their record would be. And I didn't do all the teams because I kind of just started doing more podcast stuff. But UT San Antonio beat Illinois. I, I saw I saw it coming. I really did. I mean, they – they beat Nebraska. You saw, you saw it coming a couple of months ago. Did you see it coming after what Illinois did last week to Nebraska? No, I did. I still did. Really? Because I, I really did because UG San Antonio, they went 8-5 and five last year. I know they didn't play any, like, big-time teams probably because they're in, like, the Conference USA. But I think, like, yo, if you're a bowl team in Conference USA and, you know, I am biased as a Texan. I think Texas players are a little bit better on average than players from other parts of the country. Um, not, I mean, not all the time, but I, I just said, hey, they can run the damn ball. They had a thousand-yard rusher last season who came back. I just said, hey, I think they're going to beat them. They're, you got to pick upsets when you see them, and so that's what I did. And uh, a lot of people were surprised, like, oh my gosh, we lost to a team that lost to UT San Antonio, and I'm like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. No, I mean, I, I, while it's disappointing to see, Nebraska was, in a sense, a little bit of Illinois Super Bowl. They had all off-season to prep for it. They beat us really good last season. They got a new head coach. They had a, a sellout stadium. Like, they had all the reason in the world to be excited to play Nebraska. They didn't have any reason to be excited to play UTSA. Exactly. So, uh, definitely disappointing to see. However, it's not like college football doesn't work like that. You can't say, oh, UTSA beat Transitive. Illinois, so therefore UTSA could beat Nebraska. Does not work like that. That's not how college football works at all. Uh, just enjoy the game for what it was. And it was, it was good to see Illinois lose after having – beating us it was a little a little bit disheartening though i'm not gonna lie yeah definitely don't like seeing you know big 10 lowered a little bit but i'm not super big on conference pride i guess um i mean we mentioned some of the big games coming up next week um you know we got oregon ohio state as we mentioned Nebraska's got Buffalo. Hopefully, we can win that one. That's a big game right there. Iowa, Iowa State. <laughs> that's that's the game I'm most looking forward to. Is Iowa, Iowa State. Texas at Arkansas. I think Texas will probably beat them pretty good. If I'm honest. That line they released it yesterday, and I think it started out as Texas and Texas was a six and a half point favorite, and within like 30 minutes of it being posted in Vegas, it had ballooned to 13 because so many people were going Texas six and a half. Really? I'm not sure if if you follow the lines all that much, I but don't. like. Vegas had to adjust that line super quickly. They had a terrible opening line. Um, so if, if you got in early and bet Texas, good for you, because uh, I, I think they beat Arkansas by a good amount. We got the Holy War uh, next Saturday. We got Utah at BYU late night, 9-15 ESPN. Also the primetime ABC game. We got Washington, who lost to Montana at Michigan. Um, so that's, I mean, I mean, 
they can't really predict that they would lose to Montana, but uh, that's the big game there. I mean, week two is not as big as week one is most years, so not a whole lot of big-time games. Alabama plays Mercer. Why? Why? They don't need that. They do not need to do that. Oh, Colorado plays A&M. That's an interesting game. Yeah. Anyway, so th- those are the games we're looking at next week. What's what's the the big noon kickoff game on Fox? Oh, uh, look. Is that... Uh, Looks like it is Oregon-Ohio State. Okay. And then the next week it's us, Nebraska-Oklahoma. Uh, I just really want to be 2-1 going into that game. It would be so much better than losing to Buffalo. What's, what's nice this week is Buffalo's a 2.30 kick, so we should get a chance to watch Oregon-Ohio State at 11 o'clock while we, uh, while we pregame the Husker game. Yeah. So that, uh, we'll, I'll, we'll be, on TV. I'll be preparing for uh, KRNU 90.3, 2.30 with uh, whoever I'm calling the game with. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing color play-by-play, but I'm just excited about that. Uh, how do we feel about the – I guess we're coming to a close here. How do we feel about the Brian Kelly comments from last night? I'll quote him. I'm in favor of execution. Maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Hilarious. We just didn't execute very well. I think that, like, it's sort of like a bad dad joke. Like, sometimes dad jokes, you hear them and you're like, ha-ha. But that, it was just, this one just kind of like, if anything, it's kind of cringe. And I think people overreacted a little bit, especially because, I mean, he is on national television, so he kind of looks like an idiot. But I think it's a little bit of overreaction. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, he, he was hearkening back to a, an old coach named John McKay. I'm trying to find John McKay's original quote. He was uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach. Um, so it was back in the 1970s. Uh, I don't have a, an actual video of it. But McKay uh, was asked after a game what he thought of his team's execution, and he said, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> Which is, See, which is a funnier quote. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Brian Kelly just got like a little bit of the dry humor. I, whenever I heard that live, I laughed. Um, and I, I, think, I think people are outraged over the fake. I don't think anyone's actually all that mad about this quote. I think it just kind of went big on social media. And then uh, he had to like kind of backtrack and go like, okay, guys, like it was a joke. Like I wasn't trying to say Because just because it went so big on, on social media. I don't think anyone's actually all that mad about the quote. Yeah. Does anybody in their right mind actually think that he wanted to kill everyone on his team after their performance last night? No, you're just trying to make a little funny joke like, hey, I'm glad we got the win here, but, like, we played bad. Most people, like 90% or more people who saw that didn't care. It's just that everyone's trying to, like, be like, whoa, is this, like, I don't know, man. It, it was that big of a deal. I just thought it was worth bringing up because that was kind of funny. More more so cringe because that's kind of my humor. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I think we wrap pretty much everything up. God, I hope we beat Buffalo. Um, Score prediction? I'll throw one out there. I think Buffalo. Okay, they got a solid run game. I think Marks gets a touchdown for them. Maybe they'll get they'll get a receiver touchdown. Crap. I think our defense will play solid. I'll say Buffalo scores. You know, we, we've given up 28 points on defense this year, so that average at 14. Buffalo is a, you know probably not a great offense. Maybe they're close to our level. They maybe they score twenty three, and we score. Gosh, I have no idea. Forty, no forty one. I dude, I have no idea. I would have to look at it more. I, I think our offense has found their rhythm a little bit more. Um, I think we're gonna look better than we did against Illinois. I th- still think we get a, a scare. Nebraska pulls it away in the fourth quarter a little bit. Uh, they they control the run game a little bit more late. I think. Give me Nebraska thirty four, Buffalo twenty four. I, I would agree cl- with that. Closer than you'd like. 
Uh, not enough to give you confidence heading into Oklahoma, but it's enough that it's it's a win and you don't feel awful about the game. I think it's close, but we pull away late, and you know, it looks the score looks less closer than it was. So interesting little little facet here. From my research, I don't think Nebraska's ever worn all-white uniforms at home. That's true. Okay, we can talk about that real quick. I like our alternate uniforms, especially the helmet. I don't. I wish we went more camo than we're. You know, lo- it looks like it's kind of like a white and gray camo. We can barely see it. You, you don't. You don't see the camo till you're up close. I, at yeah. home, it's just gonna look like white on white. It's okay. It's okay. I, I, I kind of like I, it. The, the the helmet's sick. The helmet. Yeah, beautiful. with the gray face mask and the NU, I think it's gonna look good because it's you know the 20th anniversary. It sounds weird saying anniversary, but. Or memorial of 9-11 mm-hmm. um, and so hopefully Buffalo where it's like all blue and so you kind of would get like a white Nebraska and other team Buffalo blue and then this crowd be red it is going to be, be weird to see Nebraska playing in white at home you've never had that I don't think never had it uh, to my knowledge I even asked Mike Babcock Husker Restore and he said I lose track of the alternates but to my knowledge no I don't remember Nebraska ever wearing white at home yeah. so uh, that could be interesting to 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 I, I shouldn't say monitor. Just from a field perspective. Just from uh, how the game is going to look on TV, how it's going to look from the stands. It's going to be a little different. Nebraska wearing the white, but I think it's cool. Um, alternate uniforms at the end of the day, they don't affect how you play on the field. So Yeah, uh, they don't. <laughs> uh, if, if, uh, if Nebraska wins, I think everyone's going to have a much more positive remembrance of these uh, uniforms and if we yes. lose. So at the end of the day, cool. We got some alternates. Hope the recruits like them. Let's go win a football game. Exactly. All right. This has been uh, Elijah Herbal and Daniel Magnuson from the Damn Ball. We're out of here. Thank you.